Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Around Australia, the school year is about to start. For some parents, it will be their first foray into the next significant phase in their child's life. Gabby Stroud, author of the acclaimed book Teachers, wants to start this new phase with a big and possibly difficult conversation. In her first book, Gabby wrote about her own struggle to keep the heart in teaching alive. In this next book, she wants parents to change the way they look at education and in doing so, help their children become learners for life. Hi, Gabby. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me here today. We often hear that parents and teachers need to work together for the best outcome for their children. Why do you think that's so important? Well, I really believe in that philosophy that it takes a village to raise a child. And our villages today look very much like our children going to school and belonging in families. These are the the two main villages that each child exists in, as well as possible sporting groups and community groups and things like that. But but school and and home are are their two key villages. So the people in those villages need to work together because... We're, we're in it together raising these children and our our kids are going to get the best benefit of that when we work together and we're, we're sending messages that are coherent and that line up. And also I think when we each recognise our role as people within that child's village, you know, when we recognise what a teacher's role is and what a parent's role is and, and, and a grandparent's role and, a you know, a, someone in the um, admin staff at the school, you know, we're each playing these different roles that, that are, help us to raise raise our children. Now, the thing with that, as a parent who has school-aged children, mm-hmm. the, if I'm totally honest, the thing that scares me about that phrase, parents and teachers working together, the first thing that scares me is homework. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I put my hand in the air and say I'm not a homework parent. I know there are parents who really believe in homework, mm. um, as there are teachers, and it's all a bit of a mixed bag. Mm. But particularly as a working parent, the idea of us working together makes me nervous because I think, oh my God, do I have to learn geography? Do Mm. I have to um, be sitting there and doing the maths homework with them? Obviously, children need some support, Mm. but that working together phrase always Mm. freaked me out (laughs) because I thought, oh, am I needing to be there every afternoon to support their education? What does that kind of combination look like for you? I think... um I'm not a homework kind of teacher, if I can be honest with you. And I think we should just agree to be honest with one another. I, I think that um, that we need to understand what that means, that working together, because for a teacher, uh, what we're talking about there is probably more something that's that's bigger than just supporting a child with homework or supporting them with a tricky maths question. This working together needs to be an understanding that's that's sort of more global, more more broad. And what what I see as being almost a missing link uh, between parents and teachers at the moment is an understanding that we all want what's best for this child. And sometimes I think parents and teachers were experiencing resistance against one another and we're not working well together. 
because there seems to be a misunderstanding, parents seem to think, oh, you don't understand, this is what my child needs. And the teacher is frustrated because they're thinking, listen, parent, you don't understand. I know as a teacher that this is what this child needs. So I think that uh, the working together that's needed is this huge thing, and I'm just going to say it, but it's trust. We need to get back to building that trusting relationship between the teacher and the parent. And it means it's going to be difficult and there's going to be challenges. And I know that there are lots of parents out there going, I wouldn't trust that teacher. And there are a lot of teachers out there thinking, well, I don't really trust what's going on for you as a parent either. I've got some big question marks. So we've got to really crack open this conversation and talk about what lies beneath it and, and what what that working together looks like and how that trust would be built. And if I could just go on from that, one of the big revelations I had when I was writing this book, Dear Parents, uh, and it came to me like a bolt of lightning. I was sitting having um, a hot chocolate with my own daughters in in a coffee shop and I was having a break from my writing And I said to my daughter, Olivia, I've got it. I know what my book is all about now. Because sometimes you write and in writing, you discover what your book is about. You don't always set off knowing what it's about. And I gave her a scrap of paper out of my wallet and I said to her, write this down exactly as I say it. And in her little, you know, I think she was about nine or or 10 at that stage, you know, she, she writes it on the back of this receipt. And the revelation that I had was that, What's required right now is that teachers really need parents to do the work of a parent at home so that teachers can do the work of a teacher at school. And we don't need parents to be teaching little geography lessons at home. And we don't need teachers to be teaching our children, you know, the basic values and self-care skills that should be learnt at home. We each need to step into our roles and accept those roles and the responsibility that goes with them and then be able to trust each other to, to, to do those roles, to perform them. Now, I'm sure there's many different reasons why this has kind of blurred over in terms mm. of, uh, let's say, wellbeing programs at school and mm. this idea of being a tutor at home. But you, in your book, talk about the way that parents have grown to see education as consumers, Mm. and you see a fundamental problem with this. Can you tell us a bit more about that idea? Yeah. This is where the heartbreak comes in for me, because when we uh, sort of shifted education and we moved it into this model of standardisation, where we had standardized high stakes testing such as NAPLAN and we and we have the website called My School and we have the standardized curriculum and now professional teaching standards when we rolled out this standard model along with it came this mentality and this understanding of uh well, schools are all standard, so therefore I'm going to shop around and select the best performing school. I can look at the My School website, I can look at NAPLAN results, I can, um, you know, compare the quality of their websites, things like this, as a means of determining how good that school is and therefore how well my child will perform and therefore how my child can be a winner at life. It sort of imposed this idea of um, winners and losers and that, you know, the best academic results is therefore the best measure of the school. And so much was lost in that because then what starts to happen is that parents shop around and, you know, they're talking about schools like they're shopping for insurance. But 
More heartbreaking than that is we lose sight of what learning is actually all about. We start to get fixated on results and performance and how a school sort of outwardly looks when really what we need to be talking about and what I'd like to get the general discussion shifting back toward is an idea of learning and what's actually happening when we learn. So I talk a lot about the magic moment, which is this moment of learning that occurs and you know, it's it's just the most special thing. It's why teachers keep going back to teach day after day, even though it's really, 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 really hard. This magic moment is this transfer of ideas. You know, I'm sitting there with a child and they're learning. I'm, I'm telling them stuff. I'm demonstrating things and they're taking it on board and they're having a go and they're learning. And it is just the most glorious, magnificent, wonderful, wonderful moment, you see them light up and they look at you as if to say, did you see me do that? And it is just precious. And I know that parents know this because we teach, parents are teaching their kids all the time and and you feel it in your heart. You feel that pride well up in your chest and teachers feel that. Teachers go back for that pride-fueled moment every day. But Something terrible happens when we take that magic moment of learning and we put a number on it. You did 10 out of 10 or that was a band six effort. And then something happens further again when we publish that on a website and say this school performs so well at these levels. We lose sight of that magic moment. We lose sight of the context that that goes around it, you know, the struggles and difficulties that some of those students face, the socioeconomic situation that that school sits within and works within. So much is lost and we just start looking at our schools as though they are selling us T-shirts or insurance and we can just shop around and if it didn't fit, well, we'll just move on and we won't, we won't stick it out. We won't, we won't try to make changes or develop the relationship with the teacher. We'll just move on. We'll just go shop somewhere else. The other issue I have with that is that, you know, as a, as a parent and as a student, the relationship you're going to have with a teacher in a school is so much more complex and rich and nuanced than the relationship you'll ever have with the person who sells you a t-shirt or insurance. You know, it is this lifelong thing where you're, or year-long thing where you're trusting this little one that, that is your beloved child, you know, into the care of this school and this learning community. So to sort of look at it as though, oh, I just shop around and find the best place to, to pop my kid, it's it just really neglects a bigger understanding of what learning is all about and what we want our students to gain when they're in a classroom and working within a school. Do you see this as also impacting the way parents treat teachers? Um, I have my own narrow experience in my own school, uh, of course, and there are sometimes ways that parents will talk about a way a teacher has behaved or what they expect from the school, which seems a little bit out of step with um, the fact that we're using a public education model. Mm. You know, in terms of that idea of a consumer, like my little Johnny mm. is um, having problems and no one's paying attention to mm. him. Mm. Um, do you think that that is part of that idea of parents seeing education like mm. it's a, a something they can consume? Yeah, I do. I think sometimes um, parents are just a little bit misguided. Like I've, I had a parent once who came in, a dad, and he said, look, uh, next week my, um, my wife's going to be away, mum's going to be away, so we're just hoping you could 
do little one's hair for us each morning. And it was, you know, it was just a very sweet but misguided sort of uh, thing, you know, like because initially I'm like, yeah, I went to uni and studied so I could do children's hair. Like, hang on a minute. But also it just neglects an understanding of I have 30 other children here. Now, can you imagine if I had to prepare 30 heads of hair before I even started my teaching day? It, It was just this crazy proposition. And that's just a misguided understanding. And Parents do that quite frequently. They just don't understand what it is to have 30 children in front of you each day. If What parents need to understand is just imagine hosting a kid's birthday party. That's what teachers do every day, but with more <laughs> with kids, kids, you know, yeah. and, and less helpers and, you know, fewer party games. But it's that same intensity. And with that in mind, um, this sort of disconnect between what – parents might see teachers do and what teachers actually do, Mm. parents might look at a teacher's life as nine till three Mm. and then all the holidays that come with uh, school breaks. Mm. What do the actual working hours of a teacher look like, let's say in primary school? Look, imagine a number and then double it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, It can vary, but for me, when I was in the thick of my primary school teaching career, really your morning starts at seven. Now, even though you might still be at home, but you are prepping stuff. You're bringing in the bag of rice that you need for your science lesson and you're grabbing that book off your own personal bookshelf that refers to the child that, you know, they mentioned an author that they liked and the school library didn't have it. So, you you know, you're doing all of that and you're setting yourself up for your school day. And then when you get home that evening, you deal with your own family and then you drag out all your marking and all your lesson preparation and you're going at it again for the next day. And then you get into bed and you worry. You worry and you think about all those children and particularly the ones who aren't uh, hopping into a nice warm bed that evening or haven't had a bedtime story read to them or who you know are going to sleep a little bit hungry that night. So I I find it difficult to put a number on a teacher's working week because so much of it is happening, you know, it's happening while they're driving to work. You know, they're planning things out in their head. They're listing off all the things that they need to do. So much of it's happening on a Sunday afternoon where they might be taking themselves out for a bushwalk or trying to snag a bit of family time. And in their head, they're they're thinking about, you know, particular children in their class and, oh, this one would really like this. I must remember to tell them about it. This is the emotional work that teachers do and I don't think we recognize and value that enough because I mean really teaching isn't a job it's it's a lifestyle it's a vocation it's something you're sort of living and doing constantly yeah it's it's a massive personal investment and yeah look I know on paper it looks great you know the working at the contact hours you know nine till three that sounds great and the pay looks great and the holidays look terrific but if it really all added up to be this fabulous job we'd all be doing it wouldn't we you know and we wouldn't teachers wouldn't be leaving in droves which evidence is showing that they are so clearly it's not all you know swings and roundabouts. There are some real challenges that teachers face, particularly with their workload. When we talk about parents and how they relate to the school, there is a lot more parental involvement in schools today Mm. than I remember when Mm. I was a kid. I, I think I remember my parents maybe turning up for one annual meeting, maybe Mm -hmm. if I was winning a prize. Mm. I don't remember all of the stuff that I get invited to Mm. as a parent. 
and particularly for working parents yeah. because you're already squeezing family life mm. in around working life, if, mm. if it can be put that way. So there's a lot of pressure on parents to be involved in a way that doesn't seem always achievable. Mm. You're a parent. You've yes. got children. Yes. Um, how do you feel about that kind of parental involvement in schools? I get so tired of being invited to the school. <laughs> I was just talking with um, my my girl's dad the other day about, or towards the end of last year, and we were talking about we could have been at school every day this week. There were that many invitations. Um, so we, yeah, look, I get it. It's exhausting. I think that that, um, that culture has come out of that consumer mentality though. You know, we're constantly as schools trying to showcase, look at what we're doing and you are welcome to come and we are a community and come and see these terrific things and come and look at the garden and now look at the library and now we have an author coming in and now there's, and it's just uh, relentless and exhausting. And the the truth is parents, you don't need to be there all the time. You know, you we want you as teachers, we want you to feel connected to your child's school and to their learning, but it's not necessary that you be there all the time. So everyone needs to stop feeling so guilty. <laughs> it's okay to say no. And honestly, when I was teaching full time, it was a relief when, te- when parents didn't turn up because it's like the stakes were lowered then and you were just like, oh, because when parents are always there, it sometimes feels as though you're doing a performance piece and you're worrying about, oh, how how are they going to react to this little one who always acts out? And how are they going to react when, um, you know, I sit down and just put my weary face on? You know, you feel like you've got to be on and showcasing when really you're a teacher and you're just doing your work. So I, that is actually a culture that I I, I struggle with myself. And um, I think I would like it to shift a little bit because I do think we are putting all these demands on parents and, again, that's contributing to a narrative about education that may not necessarily be healthy. What does helpful parental involvement look like? (laughs) Well, as a teacher, when you sit down and prepare a lesson or a unit of work, what you're always thinking about is how will this move my learners forward? So you're always thinking about the forward momentum of your students or the practice that they need or the skills they need to be developing. When a parent wants to come into a classroom, that's actually the question they should be asking themselves as well. How am I going to help move this little community of learners forward or how am I going to help teacher standing in that community of learners? How am I going to help that teacher move forward? Sometimes I feel as though parents come in because they'd just like to be a fly on the wall and see what's happening. And look, that's okay. I get it. And and I think it, it has its place because it helps you understand what a teacher does in a day and what your student or your child experiences in a day. But it's all about the parent's intention. I, I think that it's best when parents go in with a genuine intention of, I want to help, I want to serve, I want to make this a better place for students and for teachers. You know, sometimes the most helpful parent is a parent who comes in and they don't even have a student in your class. So then you know that they're not invested in spying on their kid or spying on their their, their child's friends or spying and critiquing you as a teacher. They're genuinely there to help. So I would probably ask parents to really interrogate that idea of when you go in to help, you know, is it a role of service that you're taking on or do you have some sort of covert agenda there? And and if so, that's fine, but is there a better way of 
ticking off that agenda and and finding the information that you're going in to seek, you know, because I always say help is not helpful unless it's helpful. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh, So your first book, Teacher, caused waves. Yeah. What are you hoping will happen with Dear Parents? Well, I hope that Dear Parents will open conversations. I hope that it will provoke thought and discussion, not just around teachers and teaching, but about parenting and how we parent our children in relation to their school experience and how we're stepping up as those lifelong teachers that our children need. Because this is something that I don't think parents realize that the moment that little person comes into your life, you are their first and their lifelong teacher. So you're not just their parent, you're their teacher as well. And I really hope that my book will will provoke discussion around that and thought around that. You know, how, how have I been teaching my, my children? What, what things have I taught them? What things have I taught them incidentally? And what things have I taught them explicitly? And then what is my role as a, as a parent slash teacher? So yeah, I think it's a book that, well, I really hope it'll provoke a lot of questions and provoke a lot of discussion. And I hope that um, people who know me will still like me because it's, <laughs> it does, you know, I put some pretty curly things out there. So we'll see. Well, it certainly got me thinking, Gabby. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. That's Gabby Stroud. She's a former teacher and author of Dear Parents, and I'll put links to where you can get the book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.